Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So one of my pastoral heroes is Eugene Peterson. You may know of Eugene Peterson. He's probably most well-known because he wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not really a translation. It's a nice paraphrase uh, called The Message. Uh, He died a few years ago. And tributes and stories about uh, this man, his ministry, his impact, just kind of keep trickling in as folks reflect uh, on his legacy. And as we begin, I want to share one anecdote uh, from Mark Roberts of Fuller Seminary. And it was a remembrance of Eugene, this pastor, that I think will help us enter this story of Mark 10 this morning. Uh, Mark Roberts used to run retreat centers, um, and I love retreat centers. Uh, Some of you know I was at the CCF retreat uh, this weekend, so this is my fifth time speaking since Friday, so I'm either warmed up or worn out, I'm not sure. Um, But I love retreat centers. You can get away. You can spend time with people. And so Mark Roberts, he was running this retreat center, and they were going to have a gathering of like, this is VIP Christian authors, best-selling Christian authors. And so Eugene Peterson was invited. Uh, Mark had a 15-year-old son named Nathan. And Nathan was like, Dad, can I tag along? Like, I really want to meet the guy who wrote the Bible. Like, fair enough. Good, good. And so they arrive. He, of course, I mean, come on. Yeah, your kid wants to like do anything spiritual? Yes, please come. So they bring his son. He introduces him to Eugene Peterson Um, They talk for a little bit, and then Mark, he's the retreat director, so he moves on. You've done that, right? You're in a room, and you make some small talk here, and then you go, oh, I need to go talk to that person. I need to make sure this is working correctly. And he said he circled back maybe 15, 20 minutes later, um, and there's his son, and there's Eugene Peterson deep in conversation. And he said it shocked him because as he watched... um, It's literally a room of the best-selling Christian authors in North America. Um, Eugene Peterson would have been understandably well-served to do some networking, to go learn, to to make new friends. And he wanted to spend time with this teenager. And says, as he looked, he's like, Eugene didn't seem bored at all. For him, Nathan uh, was someone of great stature. The esteemed author didn't calculate who would be most strategic and tried to move on to the more important people. He said, no, Nathan's the least accomplished person in the room, but was the most important person to Eugene. So he spent time with him, and he talked with him, and Mark said it left an impression uh, on him as a minister, but also on his son, that his son never forgot. Um, and again, this was shared after Eugene Peterson passed, because he's like, hey, I'm sure Uh, One, he'd be embarrassed to be applauded in this way. Uh, But secondly, he didn't think he was doing anything special. I mean, he's just following the way of Jesus. He's following the way of the kingdom. And that's actually what we see in Mark chapter 10. We see Jesus, um, the Lord, but also this one who pays attention to what's right in front of him. Even someone who's often uh, overlooked or ignored. It's this, this really cool little, I mean, it's a little story. It's just a few verses. Um, it actually speaks to a lot of what's already happened in Mark 10 in, a, in an interesting way. But, but it shows this countercultural vision of the kingdom of God. 
where the least and the lost and the lonely um, are first and important and paid attention to. It, it, it kind of fleshes out Mark 10, 45, right before this. Theme verse of the entire gospel. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is putting this into practice time and time again that he comes as a servant king to give his life for us and for our salvation, to show us greatness and glory, not in the world's eyes, but in this, through the lens of the kingdom, through God's eyes. He's looking at things differently. And so that's what this passage does. It wraps up this section. Um, we see Jesus interact with this individual who is at one point kind of told, hey, um, shut up, be quiet. Leave him alone. You're not important and your problems are not worth the master's time. But Jesus stops, tender, loving, taking all the time needed to interact with this man. That's what we see. That's a glimpse of the kingdom. That's what Eugene Peterson was doing. But of course, he learned it from Jesus. It's the natural way of those who follow him. So we're, we're going to walk through this short passage together. Um, I think we're going to have fun. First few verses, I would say, are about true sight with this blind man. Because this passage is really dense, full of color and detail and irony. Uh, we meet a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. He can't see, but he has insight. He recognizes uh, more about Jesus than most folks have so far, especially in Mark 10. Um, and actually, the, the chapter begins, it just gives us a little point on the map. It drops a pin, says, hey, they are in Jericho. And that's actually pretty important to, to understand what's happening in this scene because the gospel of Mark is one big road trip. And everywhere in the gospel, Jesus is moving towards this final destination of Jerusalem and the cross. He, he's on a mission to, to die for us and for our salvation. And what you may not know, unless, again, you kind of just go back. You have the map section in your Bible. I've got the map section. It tells me that Jericho is about 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem. In other words, like, they're almost there. Um, we're at the end of Mark 10. Mark 11 is Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. That, that's where we are um, in, in Jesus' life and ministry. That's how close we are to his death. And we have this man by the side of the road. Um, and again, when I think about that, I don't know, um, it feels like that's a loaded statement. Like life is passing this man by. Commerce and travel and importance and everything is just passing this guy by. And he's on the sidelines. He, he's on the side of the road, desperate. So what do we know about him? Well, first, we know his name, Bartimaeus. And you may not realize this. I had to double check. Um, uh, the, the Gospels, we have four Gospels, right? Three of them are pretty similar, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John is this, like, amazing kind of other thing, although telling the story of Jesus. Um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus heals a lot of people. Guess how many people we know by name? One. In all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in all of Jesus' ministry and miracles of healing, we only get this guy's name. 
Everyone else, we might know a relation. Hey, this is Peter's mother-in-law. This is such and such's child. Or here's where they're from. Or here's what was wrong with them. Here was a man with, with dropsy. Or here was someone possessed by demons. Whatever it is, here we get a name. Boy, the only other time we see the kind of this supernatural miracle, because um, there's lots of miracles in the Gospels that are not supernatural, like, you know, fishermen leaving their nets to follow Jesus. <laughs> but is Lazarus in the Gospel of John, who's raised from the dead. A different kind of a thing. But how interesting that the two named people, Bartimaeus and Lazarus, really speak to our need. We're blind. We don't see who the Lord is. And we're dead. We need to be brought to life by the Lord Jesus. So we get Bartimaeus. Everyone's ignoring him, and he's the first one we have his name. <laughs> it's beautiful. Very, very beautiful. And it's personal. Um, I, I do say it's probably likely that one of the reasons they do name him is not just Jesus' one-on-one, but probably the folks who first read the Gospel of Mark would have known who this guy was. We said that a lot in the book of Acts. They'll name people because they're well-known. You know, here's where they're famous. Here's how they got started. And so we can just imagine this life of faithfulness and fidelity uh, from Bartimaeus. Um, we do learn that he is both blind and a beggar. Uh, later, when he asked Jesus to help him, he says, I want to recover my sight. So we don't know how long he has been blind. He is significantly someone who saw at one time. And now he doesn't. Um, and he's, he's begging. He, he's asking for money by the side of the road. Um, it's hard, right? Someone's begging, asking for money at the side of the road. Um, we're probably more tempted to, to not ask their name or, or to not stop or to not pause. Um, and then there's ways to, I think, engage that in a way that's, that's healthy and helpful for that person and you. I'm not saying at every moment we need to stop it at every time, but, uh, but we, we know a little bit of how awkward that can be, right? And how much you want to just, oh, good, we're on the road, let's cross to the other side. He's not only destitute, um, he's probably outcast because of his blindness. Um, socially, he's an outcast. Uh, religiously, he can't enter. He, he's on his own. Life is passing him by, but he's been listening. And apparently he's heard a little bit about Jesus. And he's come to understand some more things. And so when uh, Jesus comes by, he's going to boldly take his chance. One scholar put it this way, what Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight, he makes up for with insight. Mark 10, 47, says he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Exclamation points appropriately throughout. What an extraordinary verse. I actually love his persistence. It says he began to cry out and say, he, he probably just kept going. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48 says the crowd is like, hey, uh, shh. They rebuke him. They tell him to be quiet. Kind of tells us a little bit about how much to trust a crowd, right? Um. Very, very interesting. But it doesn't deter this man. He keeps yelling. Um, his only thought is to get the attention of Jesus, so he keeps yelling. Uh, one scholar, James Edwards, who was studying Mark, he says, the kingdom of heaven 
The kingdom of God is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. And Bartimaeus is desperate. He sees his chance as a blind man, and he cries out with persistence. Um, And he identifies Jesus as the son of David. Now, um, I don't know everyone here. Um, This may be your first church service ever, in which case we're so glad that you're here. Um, But I'm guessing most of us have been to church a few times in our life. And and I'm guessing you've heard a sermon about Jesus the Messiah or or what God's people expected um, in the Messiah when he would come, right? And how often have you heard some version of they were expecting this, but Jesus was that? But this guy, son of David, he, he gets it. God's people have been waiting on another son of David. The, another anointed one. Um, the one that Paul at one point calls great David's greater son. And they're waiting, and somehow this guy gets it. God had said, David, I will give you another son, and, and that son will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And this man sees who he is. At one point, you remember, Peter figured out that he was the Messiah, and Jesus said, hey, blessed are you. You didn't come up with this on your own. (laughs) The Spirit has given you insight. It doesn't happen very often that people get it, especially before the death and resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. There's something unique about this man, Bartimaeus. And so let's look at their encounter. Uh, Verse 49. Uh, Very, very simple. Seems like not a big deal. Short verse. And Jesus stopped. The whole world has been passing this guy by. And now the creator of the whole world stops to talk with him. Jesus has time. Jesus wants to meet with him. Again, I mentioned this is 15 miles from Jerusalem. If there's ever a time you could kind of forgive Jesus for being in a hurry or or being preoccupied or at least uninterruptible, it would be here. But he pauses. He pays attention. He sees what's happening in the world around him. He sees this man, Bartimaeus. And he says, hey, call him over here. Even the crowd, the fickle crowd, figures out, oh, something's happening. Um, This is the crowd that had told him to be quiet. And now they're like, hey, oh, yeah, the Messiah wants to talk to you. Well done. Go talk to him. And they didn't have to tell Bartimaeus twice. He says he springs up. He throws his cloak, and he came to Jesus. Little beautiful details. Um, throwing off his cloak. I don't know what you think of when you hear that he threw his cloak. Um, usually when we think of a cloak, you're wearing that. Why? Because you're cold. This is Jericho. You're not very cold in Jericho. <laughs> this is the desert. It's dusty. It's hot. No. This is not a coat he had on his body. This is the coat he had laid out so you could throw coins on it. When it says he threw off his cloak, it's not, I've got to run, and so I need to take off my jacket because it's going to be hot when I run. It's, no, I'm done with begging. And I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to see what's going to happen. He throws off his cloak. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? 
This should sound really familiar. Just earlier in Mark 10, right before this, James and John came with like the trick question. If we ask you whatever we want, will you do it for us? I mean, I see some parents here. If your kid asks you that, you're like, uh, first, tell me what the question is. Right? Again, when I think of James and John doing that, I just see two little twin Dwights from the office coming in. <laughs> Will you do whatever I want? And they want glory. They want success. They want greatness. And Jesus, I was going to say, he doesn't give them what they want. He will eventually. They'll get greatness and glory and success, but through the lens of the kingdom. Um, so I don't want to put them down too harshly. Um, but this man, hey, what do you want? Can you imagine? Open-ended question from Jesus. What do you want? Well, this man, again, he's been a beggar. I don't know how long. Uh, at some point, he lost his sight. I, I, I'm guessing it wasn't like last week. I'm guessing we're talking years and decades. And, and he spent every day asking people for something. This should be second nature. What do you want? Wouldn't you think he'd say Money? That's what he's been asking everybody. Again, when we pass by someone who, who, who is asking for things, yeah, I need money. No. Somehow, he asked for something that you would think no one could give you. Unless there's something unique, special, the son of David. He says, I want to recover my sight. And Jesus responds, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Um, it's beautiful. And it's interesting, Jesus emphasizes the role of this man's faith. Uh, of course, it's Jesus uh, who heals him. But Jesus, I actually think that there's a, there's a dignifying nature to that. He includes him. He affirms him. He, he doesn't do something to him. He does something with him. This guy's not a problem to be dealt with. Jesus wants to stop and to heal him, to make him whole and well. There's redemption and wholeness. And it says immediately he recovered his sight and followed him uh, on the way. There's a few ways we could take that. Um, you know, one would be that he just kind of followed Jesus like a puppy dog. But there's two other maybe intriguing things. And Mark likes little literary details. Um, the first is that the earliest Christians were not called Christians. They were called those who followed the way. They followed the kingdom and they followed the, the way and teaching of the master. I think that could be part of what's being said. Hey, he followed, Jesus says, go your way. He says, no, I'm going to go your way. He follows the way of the master. The other thing is, again, it's like 15 miles from Jerusalem. Along the way, all through Mark, is along the way to the cross. And it's emphasized over and over again in the Gospels how few follow Jesus on that way. They pull back. They shrink. But maybe this guy, he presses forward. In faithfulness, he at least becomes well known enough that we know his name in the early church. And as, as cool as those details are, I mean, don't miss the fact that this is a blind guy. He's been trapped in darkness for who knows how long. Again, I think it's more than days and weeks and months. I imagine years and years and decades. And, and somewhere he has this flicker of what it was like to see. Imagine that's fading. Can you imagine being trapped in darkness and the first thing you see is the light of the world, Jesus. 
and you see Jesus, and Jesus sees you. Everyone's ignored you. Everyone's passed you by. Jesus works, and you see him, and he sees you. It's a beautiful moment. Um, and there's a few takeaways we can have from this passage. Um, first, and this would be natural, is just to, to pay attention to those the world ignores. People made in the image of God, loved by the Lord, people with names and, and hopes and dreams. Um, I mentioned I was at a retreat this weekend, CCF. We've got like four or five different campus ministries that staff and college kids come from. Um, this particular ministry has a, a vision to be a home away from home where there's not folks left alone or left out. And it was just cool to see their community um, welcoming all kinds of folks. Um, and sometimes folks can be awkward to welcome, right? Or, or they can take work or it can be challenging. It was just beautiful to see that community uh, being created. It's a challenge to go, who am I overlooking? Uh, what's it mean to overlook them? Um, and again, it, it may be that there's someone literally who's asking for something that you need to stop and talk to. That seems like a, you know, probably harder to go, who's that neighbor I overlook? That's <laughs> um, not just a happenstance thing, but, but they're in your life all the time. Or, you know, my son's in 10th grade. High school's crazy. Who's that kid everyone leaves out? Who, who's that kid who's strange or weird and what's that look like? Um, and and that's, a, that's a good fair, clear takeaway from that. Um, but you know who that puts us in the place of? Jesus. And we like that sometimes. And it's appropriate. We're called to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We want to imitate our Savior. Eugene Peterson, that's what he was doing. He was imitating the Savior. But what actually happens first is we're not in the place of Jesus. We're in the place of Bartimaeus. We're in a place of need. I'm sure everyone has struggled with feelings of isolation and loneliness, rejection. Feeling like people pass you by and ignore you. I just want to say the creator of the universe sees you and knows you and has time for you and actually wants to spend time with you. Uh, there's a place where Jesus um, looks at his disciples and says, hey, now I call you friends. It's, it's not begrudging. It's not forced. He longs, he delights in these folks, and he longs for and delights in you. Um, and then the only other thing I would say is, if we are in the place of Bartimaeus, notice his persistence in his faith. He, he's crying out. Folks are telling him he's ridiculous. And he keeps on, he keeps at it. Um, last week, we looked at an incredible verse from Hebrews 4. Let us then... Uh, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then we have Bartimaeus doing exactly that. He's drawing near confidently, loudly, boldly, and he finds exactly what he needs and more so. Grace and mercy in time of need. And so I think it's a, it's a call, it's an invitation to boldly like Bartimaeus, draw near to the Lord and ask for what we need. Draw near realizing that he delights to listen to us, who pays attention to us, who has time for us, and who responds to our poverty, our begging, with an overflowing abundance of the richness of himself. His love given for you and for me. And we can draw near and ask 
Um, and I will just say, as we bring our request to the Lord, um, there was one time I was actually preaching on this passage, and we uh, had a visitor here at St. Thomas. This was years ago, um, and she herself was blind. Um, you've never preached on Bartimaeus until you have someone sitting in the congregation who, who has impaired eyesight. Well, again, her takeaway is not, we're going to like miraculously heal you now. God could. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, but the idea is that we bring our requests. We bring them to the Lord. And there's a prayer that we actually, in our Book of Common Prayer, it comes up every morning. Um, it's part of the morning prayer office. It's the very last prayer. It's attributed to John Chrysostom. And it, it gives us a posture for what it's looked like to draw near and ask and, and then be grateful for whatever answer and, and whatever we receive from the Lord. It says this, Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. We're saying, Lord, here's what we're drawing near. Like you said, there's something that we think we need help in time of need, but we trust that your timing and your ways and your provision are ultimately best for us. And we're grateful that for whatever present difficulty and circumstance we have, you have over abundantly supplied everything we need in your son Jesus and in the inheritance we have in him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.